0: Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three martinis coming up.
1: Hey, really glad you're here to start the week with us the right way. Your stool is prepared. We have good... Good slash bad, or kind of pathetic, really, and also bad slash crazy for our third martini. A lot of slashes today, Uh, but Jim, uh, I'll tell you what, uh, only smiles in the Queen City. Uh, Cincinnati, when they were down 21-3, to I don't think they had a ton of believers across the country but their defense locked it down and got the job done scored what they had to score and uh and beat the Chiefs in overtime to go to the Super Bowl yesterday and then the the Rams uh with a comeback they were down 10 in the fourth quarter uh defeating the 49ers so it's Bengals Rams just like we all drew it up at the beginning of the season and even at the beginning of the playoffs so uh we were 50% right on Friday just not the one I was most sure of
0: Yeah great I think this is So this could be a nice, pleasant, refreshing Super Bowl. I don't have an enormous dog in this fight between these two teams. I know a handful of Bengals fans and know that they have been suffering for a very long time. Uh, As somebody pointed out, there's nothing clearer about the post-Cold War consensus collapsing than the Bengals being in the Super Bowl again. (laughs) And uh, that really was, you know, I think it was, was it, it was 88 or was it 90 or so? 88 season, January of 89. Yep. There you go. So... Um, you know, not since the first Bush have have the uh, Bengals been at this point. He, obviously, easier route for Joe Burrow. Looks like he's the next great rising star, outdueling Patrick Mahomes on his home field is nothing. You know, is a major accomplishment. And then for the Rams with Matthew Stafford, it is this you know lovely redemption story that he really was that good in Detroit, and uh, that you know we we'll really you know. Sorry, I'm I'm sorry for all the Detroit Lion fans out there. On the other hand, from what I can tell on my Twitter feed, a lot of them are just overjoyed for Matthew Stafford. He's like he's like the the, the guy who got out of a bad neighborhood, <laughs> you know, and made it big and made it success, you know. Um, and I think because these are two teams that have not really been in the Super Bowl in a while. I know the Rams were there under McVay a couple of years back, but that one was a blowout. I think it's there's no i don't know about you know i'm sure if you're if, you, if your team plays one of these teams twice a year maybe you hate them but i think most people don't have don't have strong feelings about these guys it's just gonna be a good game and we've had such phenomenal games for the last two weeks in the playoffs it's just you know we just want to go and enjoy watching the game and and you know hopefully have yet another closing minutes heart-stopping thriller uh to put the cap on a season that's been pretty satisfying there's no belichick to hate there's no I noticed the Chiefs were starting to get into the uh, people were starting to to resent them um, and Mahomes and maybe I, I blame the State Farm commercials. I don't know. Aaron <laughs> Rodgers had become the the villain of everybody for his vaccination stance. So they're really you know these are two relatively fresh teams and kind of exciting and uh, we'll see how things go. Well, Jim on on Saturday and we do we
1: are we aren't just going to talk about sports. I think Jim had flipped over a couple of cars in his neighborhood in celebration that Tom Brady had retired and then we found out that he hasn't officially retired. So Jim, I hope you've uh, survived. The emotional roller coaster, although,
0: yeah. If you hear pain in my voice, it's that I pulled muscles putting the cars back. Um, <laughs> once you flipped them and you realize, oh, wait, he's not, oh, it's not an official. All right, hang on, come on, you know, boys, get over here. I got to turn this car back. That's right all right on to
1: our actual uh, content for today let's uh, talk about our first good martini and uh, and it's also kind of a, kind of a crazy martini but uh, so far Spotify is standing up uh, to the people who are losing their minds about the fact that they host Joe Rogan Joe Rogan has some guests they don't like he has some content uh, they don't like uh, and he's making a mint uh, from Spotify and that mint tends to happen when you have a hundred million downloads a month at least. And so uh, you had Neil Young deciding, wow, Spotify, it's you or me, man. And they're like, okay, it's uh, it's going to be Rogan then. Bye. And then Joni Mitchell uh, apparently decided she <laughs> didn't want her music on there either. Then there was a rumor that apparently now was false about Barry Manilow. So who knows how much uh, momentum this is going to get. Spotify is not going to get hurt by losing those couple of people. Uh, so Jim... The, the the reason there's a good martini in, in all of this, instead of this being a crazy martini, is uh, this guy Matthew Rosenberg, who writes for the New York Times, who actually has what I think is the right perspective here. It's a very simple tweet. Joe Rogan is what he is. We in the media might want to spend more time thinking about why so many people trust him instead of us so some actual awareness from inside the halls of the new york times about instead of uh, trying to everybody light their hair on fire and burn down spotify if they don't fire joe rogan which i don't think is going to happen uh trying to figure out why people trust him more than the mainstream media which i believe jim is still uh among the least trusted institutions in our country and there's a lot of institutions people don't trust so that's quite an achievement
0: yeah i mean the first thing that kind of comes to mind is that joe rogan for starters isn't trying to censor anyone else joe rogan isn't saying i don't want you saying that stuff about mixed martial arts or drugs or bodybuilding or stuff like that joe rogan and if you listen in addition to having uh, doctors who you would characterize as being vaccine skeptics or maybe even COVID 19 vaccine opponents. He's also had CNN's Dr. Sanjay Gupta on there. And it was, it was I would say, a contentious argument. got, got a little heat a discussion. It got heated. But Rogan's, you know, first of all, good for Gupta for going on the program and good for Rogan for having him on. And, and Rogan has all kinds of folks on his program. Rogan put up a short video that I think he just kind of, you know, succinctly explained. I think it articulates a good portion of his appeal and a good portion of perhaps why this issue has everybody ignited. By the way, it's worth noting, not all of Joe Rogan's programs are about the vaccines or COVID-19 or stuff like that. He talks about all kinds of subjects. And I think that's one of the things that makes people, you know, his regular subscribers so interested in him. Um, But he makes this point in this short video, and if you don't mind me quoting him for a short stretch here. The problem I have with the term disinformation especially today is that many of the things we thought as we thought of as misinformation a short while ago are now accepted as fact. For instance, 8 months ago if you said if you get vaccinated you can still catch covid and you can still spread covid, you would be removed from social media they would ban you from certain platforms. Now, that's accepted as fact. Now, if you said, I don't think cloth masks work, you would be banned from social media. Now, that's openly and repeatedly stated on CNN. If you said, I think it's possible that COVID-19 came from a lab, you would be banned (laughs) from any social media platforms. And now that's on the cover of Newsweek. By the way, I think he meant New York Magazine or maybe some other magazine coming soon to a newsstand near you. Um, All of these theories at one point in time were banned, were openly discussed by those two men that I had in my podcast and been accused of dangerous misinformation. I think here is where Rogan really kind of blows up this... Uh, caricature of him that has been painted by his critics that idea that he's i think they're really trying to run like an alex jones playbook against a guy who's really not alex jones right he says i don't know if they're right i don't know because i'm not a doctor i'm not a scientist i'm just a person who sits down and talks to people and has conversations with them do i get things wrong absolutely i get things wrong but i try to correct them whenever i get things wrong i try to correct them because i'm interested in telling the truth Greg that should be the attitude of everybody in media right, <laughs> right? i mean yeah. we, everybody's a human being everybody's going to make a mistakes if you're a journalist your job's to try to get the story right you know try really hard it's it's, it's considered a big no no a big mistake you can do. but you're a human being you're going to get something wrong if you quickly make a correction that restores faith that restores trust right um, and so i just everything i just laid out in this this little monologue you put out you know, this guy is supposed to be a dangerous megalomaniac who's indoctrinating people into this, you know, hardline ideology. You know, megalomaniacs don't often say, hey, I make mistakes. <laughs> you know, they're not. big. They, the people who are trying to brainwash you don't often say, yeah, sometimes I get things wrong. That, that That kind of humility really undermines this whole argument against Rogan. And there's just this huge leap from, you know, Joe Rogan, you're wrong on that. You shouldn't say that. There's nothing wrong with that. Well, it's a big step from there to Joe Rogan. You shouldn't have a podcast and Spotify. You have an obligation to take down his podcast. You are not allowed to have an audience. You're not allowed to say those things. We need to put economic pressure on you not to say that. Now, all of a sudden, we're in a different category. Now, all of a sudden, we're in a thing where, no, you're wrong. And I believe that my uh, information, my facts, my stuff that I can point to and verify, that's a story. At some point, the left basically doesn't believe that truth can can dispel lies, doesn't believe that, you know, good information can dispel bad information. And because of that, they think people have to be, quote unquote, protected from bad information or they prefer to call it misinformation or disinformation by these authority figures. Either the government has to come in and do it or pressured upon big, you know, uh, tech platforms like Spotify or YouTube or Facebook or Twitter or things like that. They need to protect you from these bad thoughts because you could end up having coming to bad conclusions. And it's, uh, you know, just utterly infuriating. It's good to see the New York Times reporter asking that question. I think the replies to it indicated it's going to be a long, long time before they actually engage in any serious introspection. But so far, Joe Rogan is still on Spotify, and that's good news.
1: Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. And you're right about the comments, too, to uh, Matt Rosenberg's tweet as well. Uh, One says, stop. Just another form of normalizing bigotry and foolishness. You should instead ask those people why they embrace bigotry and foolishness. And so on and on it goes. Because, you know, Twitter... It's really in the replies and comments where uh, the most good is done in uh, bridging divides yeah. and uh, bringing yeah.
0: foolishness. Bring... Ah, okay. <laughs> we need to come down on someone for foolishness because everything in your media diet would clear that path. That that uh, that, that litmus test of foolishness. Okay,
1: got it. Exactly, and it's it's also I think the freak out, obviously is you've got mainstream outlets who can't even get a fraction of the audience that Joe Rogan does. Somebody was pointing out that Joe Rogan gets hundred million, and uh, Jim Acosta even in primetime gets half a million. So, I mean, that's a pretty big disparity right there. And so uh, they they don't like losing control of the narrative. They don't like uh, information getting out there that uh, they've decided for some reason should not be out there. And so that makes people nervous. Greg, may, is, is that, is that, that, that marks nervous.
0: on my back, Jim Acosta? <laughs> yes. The guy who said, yes, I covered Trump and I have the marks on my back to show for it. Now, maybe he feels like he's been run over. Like, I, I don't know exactly where he's going with that metaphor. But the first thing that comes to mind is whipping. First thing that comes to mind is is you know lashing at him. You know I'm I'm sure it sucked to be you know the CNN correspondent at Trump events. I'm sure he got called lots of nasty names. I'm sure he gets hate mail. I'm sure he gets nasty replies to him on Twitter and stuff like that. But you know what? That's not being lashed, Jim Acosta. <laughs> Get over yourself, drama queen. Okay. <laughs> on to our regular topics. I'll tell you what's not
1: misinformation, though, Jim, is the high quality and excellence of the X chair. Everything it promises, it delivers.
0: Indeed, dear listeners, from the first moment I sat in my ex chair, my body immediately said, ah, now this is what a real office chair is supposed to feel like. I never actually looked forward to sitting in my office until I got my ex chair. Now, can your current office chair give you a massage while you're working? The ex chair can. Can your current office chair heat up or cool down? My ex chair can do that too. It's all in the LMX Massage and Temperature Regulation, exclusively designed and made for X-chair. And once you feel the customized support of the X-chair's patented Dynamic Variable Lumbar or DVL, your back will never be happy in any other chair again. High performance, quality engineering, extreme comfort. Those are all the reasons I love my X-chair. Now I can't wait to be at work and sometimes even if I'm not working, I'll just sit at my desk in my X-chair just to get that feeling. Take my advice, try the X Chair for yourself risk-free for 30 days. Once you realize how much better your chair should be, you'll never go back. I promise. So go to
1: xchairmartini.com right now. That's the letter X chair m a r t i n i.com or call 1-844 for X Chair for $100 off your order. X Chair has a 30 day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 per month. One more time, X Chair all right, on to 4Patriots. Fantastic sponsor. Find them at 4Patriots.com slash Martini. Uh, the great deal going on right now, the free solar panel that comes with the purchase of the Patriot Power Generator 2000X, and of course, their ongoing deal, free shipping on orders over $97. The key is to be prepared. Uh, you don't know when your power is going out. When you're prepared, you don't have to wait for the power company to turn the, the juice back on, and your appliances can be running while everybody else is waiting on pins and needles. The new uh, Patriot Power Generator 2000X has double the capacity uh, and is expandable so you can run the big appliances. Comes with 12 outlets, including 4AC plus two USB-C outlets that can charge your phone 20 times faster. Also, don't forget about the uh, deals that are ending soon. Uh, The Solar Go Fridge, the Sauna Wrap Therapeutic Blanket, and so much more. Visit 4Patriots.com slash Martini to get your Patriot Power Generator 2000X with the free solar panel included. Plus, get free shipping on orders over $97. Save more and get peace of mind now by going to the number 4patriots.com slash martini. That's 4patriots.com slash martini.
0: With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
1: All right, Jim, on to our good-slash-pathetic martini for the day. The policy is good. Uh, The phrasing uh, is making us roll our eyes so hard we're going to sprain something here. This is from uh, Jamie McIntyre over at the uh, Washington Examiner. The two top senators on the Foreign Relations Committee are working together to craft a massive sanctions bill that incorporates the best ideas from both parties to deal a crippling blow to Russia's petroeconomy, economy should President Vladimir Putin move against Ukraine. So the chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee is our old friend Bob Menendez of New Jersey. The Democrat uh, Jim Risch of Idaho, the Republican, both appeared on CNN yesterday to talk about these sanctions. And Menendez is the one in the clip here. And Jim, it seems like they uh, believe that they've got a way to let's just say provide some financial incentives for Putin to do the right thing here, but uh, what he calls this is pretty pathetic here we go and so what i would say is what we are devising building upon the legislation that both senator rish wrote independently and i wrote uh which i call the mother of all sanctions it's to include a variety of elements uh massive sanctions against the most significant russian banks crippling to their economy meaningful in terms of consequences to the average Russian and their accounts and pensions uh more lethal assistance to ukraine well, if it comes to that, hopefully that would be a, a successful deterrent or at least inflict a whole lot of pain on Putin and his fellow oligarchs. But, Jim, the mother of all sanctions. And, of course, harkens back to Saddam Hussein promising the mother of all battles and obviously not delivering in uh, 1991 in the Gulf War. Then F. Lee Bailey promised the mother of all cross-examinations on Mark Furman. I mean, O.J. got off, so uh, I guess I guess it was successful in some ways. Uh, mother of all bombs, of course, is my favorite. That seemed to be a fairly effective uh, weapon of war, but uh, it's a pretty tired phrase that ought to be retired at this point, I think.
0: I was going to say, when I first saw that, I was like, oh, here we go, another 20-something millennial. Actually, I, have, I guess they a generation C at that point. Another generation who doesn't know history, doesn't understand what that phrase is, and doesn't understand that the mother of all battles did not turn out that well for Saddam Hussein. <laughs> Uh, I guess you could make an argument F. Lee Bailey, the, the cross-examination of Furman, did turn out pretty well for the defense team for O.J. Simpson. But Senator Menendez knows what he's talking about. Like he's, he's old enough. He's uh, you know, smart enough. And look, you and I have given him a lot of grief, deservedly so. But on this one, we think he's right. The policy is pretty good. And basically, there's probably not a sanction you could throw at Putin or Russia that is a bad idea right now. Um, the only thing I think you, you think about like, you know, words and phrases that have a particular origin. I'm sure at some point you could probably find me say, using the phrase, you know, uh, drank the Kool-Aid, right? Now, it all comes from Jim Jones in Jonestown. And if you've ever really read or watched a documentary on that stuff, that's some really horrific stuff. Mass suicides and kids being encouraged to drink something that's going to kill themselves. Like that That's horrible, horrible stuff. And once you hear that, you're like, eh, maybe I don't want to use that metaphor anymore. It's, it's, it's a little too serious, a little too dark, uh, not something you can, you know you know, scoff at or something like that. And there are other things that are just kind of fascinating that strike me as common knowledge or, or the sort of thing that a well-read person would recognize, oh, that's where that's from, and they don't recognize it. My favorite example of this came years and years ago, Greg, and I still give my friends grief about this. I made a reference to Idi Amin eating people. Oh, yeah. And this is for, you know, for those who've seen the film, The Last King of Scotland, Lima, Idi Amin was this dictator out in, in I think it was Uganda. Uganda right? it was, it was yeah. out, and he ate people. He, he was a cannibal. He, he was a maniac. He would, you know, cut off that. Was, you know, every every story you could ever imagine of some maniacal dictator uh, losing his marbles and doing terrible things to people pretty much was true in the case of Idi Amin. Um, and yes, for the you know, sort of detail that our listeners would appreciate. Idi Amin is one of the bad guys that Frank Drebin beats up in the opening scene of The Naked Gun. <laughs> uh, but by the 80s and 90s, I guess people had not, this had not, until, until The Last King of Scotland came out, people had kind of forgotten who Idi Amin was and that he had done such short of term. So I made this like, ah, oh, you know, that restaurant has the last, had the worst food since the buffet at Idi Amin's house. Nobody got the joke. Nobody understood this, understood what this was. So I ended, I ended up giving them like real grief about not being, and these are people who are like, International affairs majors. These are really smart people. Some of whom who now work for the State Department, who had not heard of idi mean. So I, I, you know, so it's kind of fascinating the things that are considered common knowledge. And Menendez must know that when you say the mother of all blanks, it is the you know a, a reference to a statement from Saddam Hussein, which in, besides being a memorable phrase, was a spectacularly inaccurate phrase or a sign that you know in the end the Iraqi army. Uh, you know, we all remember the images of the highway of death. It did not go out very well for the Iraqi army as well, at all. So, you know, probably not the metaphor I would have chosen with. Good for you on the policy, Senator Menendez. Talk to your communications guy. There's got to be a better way to describe these policies than that.
1: Yes, I would think so. I would think so. All right. Well, as you're waiting to come up with a better catchphrase for your legislation, I mean, usually nowadays you've got a tortured acronym to be the title of your legislation that doesn't even necessarily... Really cover what you're talking about, but the acronym's really cool, so you keep that. Uh, but while you're trying to figure that out, and the, all the interns and the low-level staffers, who so you don't pay anything, try to figure out all the catchphrases. Uh, give them some my pillows, uh, pillows, sheets, towels, slippers, the whole nine yards. And right now, you can get a fantastic deal. On the Giza Dream Sheets, I absolutely love the Dream Sheets. Uh, they're the best sheets we have. Every time it's time to wash them, uh, you know, as soon as they come out of the dryer, put them right back on. Best sheets that we have. Absolutely love them. You are not going to want to sleep on anything else. And for a limited time, you can get get this 60 percent off any Giza Dream Sheets with a price as low as thirty nine ninety nine.
0: Now, the Giza Dream Sheets are made from the world's best cotton, which is grown only in a region between the Sahara Desert, the Mediterranean Sea, and the Nile River. The long staple cotton makes these sheets ultra soft and breathable. The sateen weave gives a luxurious finish. The sheets are available in a variety of colors and sizes. They're machine washable, and they come with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a one-year limited warranty. There is a four inch hem on the flat sheet and the pillowcases and the fitted sheet has fully enclosed elastic hems with deep pockets. High quality stuff and now at a
1: fantastic discount. So save 60 percent right now with the Giza Dream Sheets flash sale. Go to MyPillow.com. Then, click on the Radio Listener's Square, and when you're at that Radio Listener's Square, use the promo code MARTINI at checkout. Or call 800-874-0104 to get the Giza Dream Sheets for as low as $39.99. You'll also find deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the MyPillow mattress topper, MyPillow towel sets, and so much more. These will be gone in a flash. That's why they call it a flash sale. So head to MyPillow.com, promo code Martini, or call 800-874-0104. Sleep better with MyPillow.com.
0: No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus Terms and conditions apply See website for details
1: all right jim it's not often that we have a martini that could be bad could be good could be crazy yet somehow this one is got its fingers in in all three of those categories Uh, Javier Becerra is the Secretary of Health and Human Services. That's a bad thing. We talked about him not being at all qualified for that job. He was a a congressman, one of Pelosi's uh, lieutenants, and uh, then he became Attorney General of uh, California, and then somehow that translated into him being qualified to run the Department of Health and Human Services. Uh, Apparently he's not, at least not in a way that's making the uh, West Wing very happy. Washington Post reporting, quote, White House officials have grown so frustrated with top health official Javier Becerra as the pandemic rages on that they have openly mused about who might be better in the job although political considerations have stopped them from taking steps to replace him officials said although- kind of ironic since political considerations are the reason he has the job. Uh, top White House officials have had an uneasy relationship with Becerra since early in President Biden's term, but their dissatisfaction has escalated in recent months as the Omicron variant has sickened millions of Americans and a fifth pandemic wave amid confusing and sometimes conflicting messages from top health officials. That brought scrutiny to Biden's strategy, according to three administration figures. The frustration with Becerra comes as top White House and health officials face growing criticism for health messaging missteps, as well as controversial policies about coronavirus testing and isolation. So, uh, Jim, we said, you know, filling this cabinet under criteria other than who would be really good at doing this job has not turned out well for this administration. They got a lot of problems and some of them are due to the fact that they pick people due to uh, race, sex, orientation and other things instead of, hey, you know, would be really good at this job would be this person.
0: Yeah. I mean, there, when when Biden named a lot of his cabinet folks, a lot of them were the sort of figures you'd expect to be in the cabinet but it is almost as if he had picked names out of a hat and just randomly assigned them to cabinet posts as opposed to whatever matched their experience and alleged areas of expertise. And I think the best example was, I think at one point representative, former Congresswoman Marsha Fudge had said she didn't wanna be secretary of HUD. And then she was named secretary of HUD. <laughs> <You know. laughs> um, Susan Rice becoming domestic policy advisor after spending her whole career in foreign policy. It was a really weird selection of folks. And in the case of Javier Becerra, the only you know, he'd been California Attorney General. He'd filed a bunch of lawsuits about abortion. Beyond that, he didn't really he'd never you know done much in health care, or or health and human services. He was he was he had certainly had no medical background. Certainly had no not much health care policy background. Um, you you know as much as I would have opposed him, he would at least on paper have been a more suitable. His, his work, his life experience would have fit better at the Department of Justice, even at. Uh, than it is at HHS, even though I can hear listeners saying, oh, dear God, don't put Javier Becerra <laughs> anywhere near the department. Of exactly. Department. But you're just kind of looking at this. I, I went back and I checked and I just put up a corner post on this. Like like everybody, certainly everybody on the right, and it was not that hard to find some folks who were not on the right. I don't know if you want to say center or left, Who basically look at this like, Becerra really doesn't fit the profile of the kind of person you'd want to run at HHS. And even if you want to say, okay, it's an ideological uh conservatives don't like him because he's an ardent pro-abortion guy and he's fought pro-lifers over everything and even if you want to put all that stuff aside the california attorney general's general's office it's, it's not small but it's certainly nowhere near as large as the department of health and human services which effectively runs the entire healthcare system or at least regulates the entire healthcare system of the entire country meaning that this was a much bigger job and a much bigger managerial job than he was and oh by the way this wasn't just any old ordinary time Maybe Becerra could have, like, learned on the job better in, in order. But we're doing this in the middle of a pandemic. And that's what the focus of this big Washington Post story is, is that, boy, you know, this you know, on paper, you see these, just you know, confusing messaging from the CDC doesn't necessarily match up with what Fauci is saying in his interviews. FDA is taking forever to approve certain things, and they change the guidance on who should get a booster. You know, all of this stuff, everybody in this in, in that group reports to Javier Becerra on paper. He should be the guy who's coordinating all this and is it possible that this article in the washington post is using him as a scapegoat for the broader administration failures on this I, I could see that argument you know you could make the point that he's doesn't deserve all the grief that's coming his way on the other hand man oh man this article says it has 28 uh, sources inside and outside the administration um, you know, 28 senior administration officials, health agency officials, outside advisors and experts, most of whom spoke on the condition of anonymity to entail sensitive discussions. And some of the, it's almost a Kamala Harris, right? If that's a 10, <laughs> in the, you know, in the uh, leaking, damaging leaks and lack of faith of your colleagues, this one is, is you know, probably about an eight or a nine, quote, unquote, the, the health secretary is taking too passive a role in what be the most defining challenge to the administration, said one senior administration official. Now, if this ends up with Javier Becerra being replaced, this is a good martini, right? This is good news. This is a a recognition that he's a bad fit. This isn't working. It's time to get somebody who's better qualified and just understands the job better than he is. The the tone of this article makes it sound like Biden does not want to to do that, in part because he does not want to uh, make changes. He doesn't like to admit mistakes. And, uh, you know, this would be seen as a giant concession, the same way he's not going to get rid of Kamala Harris between now and uh, the 2024 election. It's kind of crazy, though, in that everybody said, this is not going to work out. This is not the right guy for this job. And the Biden said, no, trust me, I know what I'm doing. This guy's a great match. (laughs) <laughs> Here we are a year later. No, he was terrible. He was this is not a good match, Mr. President. You think you, you know, your own people are saying this guy is not the right guy for the job. It's really kind of spectacular you know, yet another spectacular implosion, maybe a little more under the radar than some of the other things like Afghanistan and not having enough tests ready and, and things like that. But man, oh man. Um a lot you know, everyone's okay, right, Perfect metaphor as we head into Super Bowl uh weekend, two <laughs> weeks from now. Greg, way back in the mid to late 90s, Rich Cotite, arguably the worst coach in NFL history. Adam Gase can give him a, a good run for his money. Rich Cotite said that the New York Jets were gonna run a double tight end offense as their standard. Now for those who don't follow football, the double tight end, you'd use it in a special, you know, circumstances, you know, probably for running downs or something. Very few teams were gonna use a double tight end as their standard set. And, you know, the, the reaction of the New York media was rather skeptical. Wait, why? Nobody does that anymore. What are you talking about? Know? And Richie Cotide said, "You, we're going to surprise some people. You wait and see. And the Jets went 3-13 and 13 his first year, and they went 1-15 and 15 his second year. <laughs> it did not work. Sometimes you can see people walking towards a terrible disaster. And you're like, don't do that. And he's like, no, 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 trust me. I know what I'm doing. I know what's best. Yeah, I know you. Trust me. I've got the, in, the inside track. I know what's going on. And then they fall flat on their face. And that's kind of what we're seeing with President Biden. Although I guess, Greg, at this point, it's starting to seem kind of habitual, doesn't it?
1: I'm going to start seeing Joe Biden rich co-type memes, apparently, after all this now. I wonder if this goes back to the Biden-Harris feud, though, because, you know, Becerra's kind of a Harris guy. Uh, He followed her as attorney general of California. And if there's ever been an indication that the president who just nominated you might not have your back through thick and thin, it's when he calls you Xavier Baccaria when he announces your nomination to the American (laughs) people.
0: That's a good point. Yeah, maybe, maybe Biden wasn't all that familiar with, uh, with that. I, I mean, the sneaking suspicions is that there there was a perception in the administration, either with Biden or with Prime Minister Ron Klain or somebody like, look, we really need a high profile Latino. Let's let's do let's. Becerra is good. We'll use him. And where can we put him? Ah, HHS, let's put him in there. Boom. And that's where we ended up where we are. You'd hate to think that's the mentality here. But like, look, what are the odds, Greg, that the president of the United States would have an enormously important position and specifically say, I'm only going to give this job to somebody who has the right ethnicity or gender? Come on, (laughs) what kind of president would do that?
1: I can think of one in particular. He does it all the time. Happy Monday, Jim. See you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Do subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. Please tell your friends about us as well. Uh, Thank you. Thank you so much for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. They really do help us a lot. Get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play 3 Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Monday, and please join us on Tuesday for the next 3 Martini Lunch. We are living in difficult times where people fear having thought-provoking
0: conversations about pressing issues. And although we're in the midst of an information explosion, there are a lot of forces aiming to distort what's true. I created The Bill Walton Show to provide a forum for in-depth, thought-provoking conversations with leaders, artists, entrepreneurs, and thinkers. Please join me at TheBillWaltonshow.com to explore what's true, what's right,